0: ...cases worldwide, despite China reporting much higher levels than previously documented. In Europe, an emergency meeting of EU health ministers has taken place in Brussels to coordinate the bloc's response to the virus. The German health minister says the outbreak could get worse before it gets better. Eversen's Lucy Huff has more from Brussels.
1: There was no consensus for an EU-wide travel restriction from anyone travelling from China or other high-risk areas into the bloc. Free movement will continue within the Schengen zone, but with additional checks and measures at the EU's external border. Levels of medicinal supplies will also be monitored in Europe amid concern that the virus could have an impact on supply levels. Germany is also calling for the EU to commit more cash beyond the 10 million euros it's already pledged for vaccine research into the COVID-19 coronavirus.
0: Lawyers for Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein have called on the jury at his sexual assault trial to find him not guilty, even if that decision is unpopular with the public. Closing statements have begun after a six-week-long trial. FSN's Sarah Walton reports from New York.
1: The Hollywood mogul's defence team said prosecutors had not proved their case, so jurors should use their common sense and clear him. The six-week trial has attracted huge amounts of attention. At least 100 women have publicly accused Harvey Weinstein of sexual abuse, but this is the only case that has come to court. The 67-year-old has pleaded not guilty to charges of sexually assaulting two women, his lawyers say the alleged incidents were all consensual. The jury is expected to start deliberating next week. If convicted... One
0: State Mike Pompeo says American peace talks with the Taliban have seen a pretty important breakthrough. US President Donald Trump allowed negotiations to restart after saying talks were dead in September. The two sides are trying to end the 18-year war in Afghanistan. The UK's finance minister, Chancellor of the Exchequer, Sajid Javid, has quit. It's a major surprise to come out of the Cabinet reshuffle by... ...of his special advisers in the Treasury, in the Finance Ministry. Sajid Javid said he would not do that, resigning instead. Now, what that means is that Boris Johnson has had to make an appointment that he didn't expect to be making. From Bureaus Worldwide, this is FSN. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacey Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American.
1: Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're back. Um, I had a kind of a rough run there where I did some projects for some other things that I'm working on, and then I caught a cold. And so I've been out of pocket, but I'm back. Uh, you might have seen the YouTube video that we did last night. I went live for a few minutes because I was so disturbed by a story um, coming out of Indiana or in the Geary, Indiana area about fetal remains, which are unborn babies that were aborted and how they've been stacked up in a garage for just years and years and years perfectly preserved after an abortionist uh, put them there and he also put remains in the trunk of his car and stored that car someplace at a building that he was affiliated with and after he lost his license and was no longer allowed to do abortions um, he just left those things there and who found it his family his family members found these things Uh, After he passed away, they were going through his things and uh, came across these remains. So uh, I posted that over at the podcast site. So if you want to listen to it or it's over on YouTube, if you want to watch it, it's very short. It's only nine minutes. I will cover just a bit of it today on the show. But I want to also get to the topic for today, which is that Bernie Sanders, he's wrong for America. And we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk a little bit about why President Trump is right for America And you're going to get some bonus content this afternoon. Um, I will be on the Dave Glover Think Tank, which everyone really responds so well when I go on there and then I post the audio later on for you guys to take a listen to. So thank you for the feedback. We'll be doing that again. Um, We'll be live over there. Uh, It'll it'll be this afternoon at 5 p.m. Central. If you want to listen to it live, you can uh, go to 971talk.com and find it there, Um, just listening to it via their live stream. So, Let's first get into this audio. Um, There is a reason why so many of us on the right and some people on the left are genuinely alarmed by this idea that it's Bernie Sanders' turn. He needs to run for the presidency, and they hope he'll win. Now, I don't believe in the end of days uh, thing. I know we did talk about that. Uh, But over at Life's At TV, we had a show over there where we talked about that. But look, guys, listen. Listen, 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 Linda. We... We don't have end-of-day scenarios other than when Jesus comes back, right? So we believe that. We believe it absolutely. The rest of it, it's just something difficult that we'll have to go through. And believe me, it'll be difficult watching that little old guy running around Washington, D.C., trying to completely remake America into Venezuela. That will be even more unacceptable than it was when President Obama was in office, and he was our duly elected president, but I didn't like his policies, and I found a lot of the stuff he was doing unacceptable, but he was the president, so we don't we don't want that. Our goal is to obviously for me it's to reelect President Trump, uh, but I need you to listen to Bernie Sanders, and this is some audio. It's a a supercut. Don't we love our supercuts? Where you can hear him talk about everything. Like like just listen. I'm not even going to preview this for you. Just listen to Bernie Sanders.
2: You know, it's funny, sometimes American journalists talk about how bad a country is because people are lining up for food. That's a good thing. In other countries people don't line up for food, the rich get the food and the poor starve to death. You know, as, as a socialist, the word socialism does not frighten me. I think When we were in Moscow, for example, I think most of the people here also were extremely impressed by their public transportation system. The stations themselves were absolutely beautiful, uh, including many works of art chandeliers that were beautiful. It was a very, very effective system. Also, I was impressed by the youth programs that they have, uh, their palaces of of culture for for the young people, a whole variety of uh, of programs for young people, and cultural programs, which go far beyond what we do in this country. To China and its leadership is, if I'm not mistaken, they have made more progress in addressing extreme poverty than any country in the history of civilization. Okay, so they've done a lot of things for their people. But I remember, for some reason or other, being very excited when, when Fidel Castro made the revolution in Cuba and I was a kid and I remember reading that And it just seemed right and appropriate that poor people were rising up against rather ugly, rich people. You may recall way back in, what was it, 1961, they invaded Cuba. And everybody was totally convinced that Castro was the worst guy in the world, that all the Cuban people were going to rise up in rebellion against Fidel Castro. They forgot that he educated their kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. But just because Ronald Reagan dislikes these people does not mean to say that the people in their own nations feel the same way. But have some good things when done in Cuba? Yes. How
3: do you find the sincerity
1: of Sandinista leaders?
2: I was impressed. I was impressed by Father Discota because he is a very gentle, very loving man. Uh, Ortega is an impressive guy. Uh, Ernesto Cardinal is a, is a funny looking guy. He's gray hair. And he really does remind you of a hippie.
3: Why have you stopped short of calling Maduro of
2: Venezuela a dictator? Well, he i I think it's it's fair to say that the last election was undemocratic, uh, but there are still democratic operations taking place in that country
1: so if the poor in Cuba rose up, why do so many of them get in boats and literally kill themselves to come here? if the poor been in and in, there's so much he said there that's wrong, it's almost hard to. To articulate against all of it, except to say, what is happening right now? What what exactly is happening that Americans can hear these comments that he's made and brush them off and say it would be any anybody would be better than Trump. What's happening? So people are deceived, obviously. And deception, you know, someone is operating in deception when you share with them some information that is Contradictory to what they believe. And instead of them accepting that information or saying, Well, let me verify that. I need to verify that information. Or I was unaware of that information. I still need time to process it. They immediately shift over to another thing and say, Well, but, you know, because this is what I hear about President Trump all the time. Well, he's just a hateful, evil man. He's killing people and robbing them. And but if if he does good things for some people, but he still kills and robs, then does that make it okay? President Trump hasn't killed anybody. He hasn't robbed anybody. Why are they saying that? Well, they're deflecting away from whatever fact you've shared. So that's deception. You really can't work through that except to say, you know, you basically pray, not to them, but you pray, hey, you know what, Lord? I pray that you would open their eyes and help them to see the truth. And then there's really not much else you can do because you're just going to engage in fighting that's going to be repetitive, more and more fighting, more and more arguments and disagreements. And that person will cut you off. Uh, I see that a lot where it's just a straight cutoff. And I'm not talking about refusing to engage on something where you're just arguing back and forth and no one's going to change their mind. I mean, cutting you off like unfriending on Facebook or which that is not exactly always a bad thing. Sometimes you have to be willing to. Let me just do my little regular 30 second commercial for unfriending on Facebook. Sometimes unfriending on Facebook is the best thing you can do for someone because it takes away the means by which they can basically have a fight with you. Then, if they want to have a discussion with you, they have to have it in person or by telephone. What that also does is it shows whether or not the person really wants to have that argument or if they're just interested in having cat fights on Facebook. The third benefit is that if you aren't friends with them on Facebook, they actually have to reach out to you and treat you like a human being, a real person that exists in their life, instead of just stalking you on Facebook and looking at all your pictures and never talking to you. I actually believe in it. Like, knowing people in real life, sometimes people you know in real life, you don't want to know them on Facebook. Because if you know them on Facebook and they can read everything about your life there, there's no reason for them to want to be friends with you. It's part of the reason why I post less on Facebook now. Because... People literally will just use that as the relationship with you and leave you off to yourself. How, how can you have a relationship with someone if all they're doing is observing and reading about you online like you're a fictional character? All right, that's the whole commercial. So Bernie Sanders wants to bring these types of things to America. He doesn't compliment them because they're nice for those people. And anyone who compliments China on eradicating poverty is unaware of how the Chinese people really live. They are owned by their government. They're used as a commodity. When the government needs to crank out a huge manufacturing order for the United States or any other country for a company in one of these countries like ours, they just mobilize 100,000 Chinese people. Now, contrast that with here in America. How do you mobilize 100,000 Americans? Well, if you're not talking about some kind of voting or um, like social movement, you're not doing that. There is no way for our government to order 100,000 of us to report to a factory to make enough screws for another company from outside of America to, you know, uh, fulfill an order. That just doesn't happen here. So it's just you listen to him talking, and he is dead serious. The man is not joking. He thinks communism is amazing. And the only reason he calls himself a democratic socialist is because the normalization of socialism was something that he didn't have to work to begin. It was implemented on him. He was raised in a household and in the school system where socialism was regularly touted as a good alternative. And then when the Democrats start touting socialism in K through 12 public schools, and that wasn't fought back against by people who believe in capitalism, we just let them put those, uh, th- those ideas off on our kids. And by our kids, I mean, people of my generation, but, people who came after me mainly the Millennials they are the ones who have just been the recipients of this garbage day in and day out four and a half instructional hours a day K through 12 and then they went to college and if you came out of high school and you weren't completely indoctrinated they put the hammer down on you in college the radical professors make sure you know what oh you don't don't talk about capitalism is horrible that's what they say meanwhile that same professor, gets in their late model foreign-made vehicle brought to them by capitalism, drives right on into the suburbs or entering suburbs. Sometimes they live in the city in their hip, and they go in their house that's chock full of items that you can only get in capitalist countries or countries that have a functioning economy, and they stop at their little Tony, you know, the, the little neighborhood grocery store, uh, where they have an account where they pay their grocery bill once a month and you know they, they go to their little left bank bookstore where their leftist books are all on display and they can be a part of a lefty book club where they talk about the ills of poverty and how everything's so horrible in America. But they live like kings, like kings. These college professors, they have tenure, they make a really nice living, and they're able to live that way in a capitalist country eating the spoils of capitalism, living the spoils of capitalism, while touting socialism, which brings bread lines and starvation and a lack of access to medical care. And so this, this is the epitome of what the Democrats are pushing right now. And I, I hate to see their party implode. I can't stress it enough. We need a functioning two-party system for the checks and balances that are provided. Without it, we have echo chambers, and we have people who they don't ever get to a place where enough is enough. That's what the two-party system provides. Enough is enough, where people will say, you know what? We've had enough environmentalism, and some of it was fantastic, but now we've gotten away from actually keeping things clean into destroying ecosystems for the benefit of one animal or preventing humans from having enough structures built so that they can have homes for the benefit of of one frog or one one small fish. You know, that's what happens in California. That's why they have the homeless crisis there because they can't build any new buildings. So they don't have any affordable housing. So if you fall on bad times, you can't rebound in California because there's no place for you to rebound too. You either have a house that's three bedrooms and two and a half baths and, you know, $1.6 million or you're living in a condo or an apartment for $750,000 or you're homeless so Bernie Sanders doesn't mind those conditions. He's perfectly fine with those. He's also perfectly fine with owning three homes and being a millionaire now. He says, I sold a book that did pretty well. In other words, what's it to you? Well, you know what it is to you? If, if you see a millionaire, a multimillionaire advocating for socialism, where the means of production, the radio studios, everything you can see, the TV studios, The manufacturing plants, the grocery stores, every business would be owned by the government. Now, run that through your mental processes for a second and consider what that would look like. The government is run by some, there are some amazing people who work for our federal government. There are also a lot of bureaucrats, nameless, faceless individuals who obviously they have a beating heart and a soul and they are God's creation, but they don't know diddly about how you live in Tallahassee, Florida, or, you know, Tempe, New Mexico, or, you know, St. Louis, Missouri, or the suburbs. All of us have such unique experiences that to have a government bureaucrat telling us how we should run our business, which we already have that, really, we have so much regulation. And even with what President Trump has been able to do, slicing two to three regulations for every new one that's implemented – He's still under a mountain of regulations. There are so many. No one knows how many there are. No one even knows which ones contradict which other ones. They just take whichever ones apply to your circumstance and either punish you or withhold rewards from you based on whatever the bureaucrat wants to do. There's a regulation for every situation. What we have right now with Bernie Sanders constantly talking about how the wealthy are so horrible is he's talking about himself. When do we see a reporter say to Bernie Sanders, aren't you talking about yourself? How much money do you give to charity? Why don't you give all of your millions and the proceeds from that book and sell both the two extra houses? Just keep the house that you and your wife live in. Why don't you sell all of that and give the proceeds to the people? The same ones you're saying all the rest of us need to downgrade our lifestyles and give up what we have. Why don't you do it first? Set the example. I, how old will we be before someone asks him that question? And just as a sidebar, and I'm never one to advocate for anyone being hurt or harmed, but the fact is Bernie Sanders recently had a heart attack. And it makes you wonder why none of the media organizations are talking about the fact that he's had a heart attack and that he's 78 years old and that he, he might be. Like, can he pass the physical that the, they always give to the presidents after they win? They give him a physical. I mean, can he withstand the rigors of the presidency? They've said that so many times about President Trump, who is 73, so five years younger than Bernie Sanders, but Bernie Sanders gets a pass. I, he shouldn't be disqualified because he had a heart attack, obviously. But is it something that should be considered when you're, you know, this is a man who's signing up for a four year gig four years after this year? So he'd be into his 80s. Can he withstand it? We don't want anybody to get hurt, but it is a valid question. Or I should say, it is a valid question if you felt that way about President Trump, why do you not feel that way about Bernie Sanders, who's older and obviously in worse health? So over in the chat room, Tracy said, do we really believe the Democrats will let Bernie win? Well, So I'm one of those people who, I mean, you know, all joking aside, we can all let something go too far and then think, wow, I should have taken care of that before. But if you see a freight train coming at you, don't you do something about it right away? Why didn't the Democrats do something about Bernie Sanders when after he ran the first time, he immediately went back to being an independent and independent Democratic Socialist? He's not a Democrat. So how can he run as a Democrat for the presidency. It seems to me like deep in their Roberts Rules of Orders or their platform papers or something that has to do with it, they would have something there that would say, you know, um, you can't actually run for the presidency on the Democratic ticket if you're an independent. You need to run as an independent. Now, there's one possible reason why they don't do that. It could be the reason they're not doing that is because they're afraid he would actually run as an independent and it would have a Ross Perot-like effect on their presidential aspirations. The other thing is evil eats its own. They don't want to acknowledge that he is the fruit from their own tree. He's it's not like Republicans created Bernie Sanders and lobbed him into the, the fray. They made him, they made him possible. They made his ideas palatable. And now they want to step back and say, well, he's not really one of ours. Yeah, he's your guy. And getting away from him is going to be so difficult this time because the Bernie Sanders people were so angry last time they felt he was robbed. And this time, oh, my goodness, he is, he is, like, he's he's running and gunning for the nomination. And the people of his party are, they're aghast. So, okay, we're going to get to a few news items, but before we do that, I think President Trump is in rare form. I was wondering if he was going to have to have downtime, and maybe he did last weekend. Um, but he's been also speaking at rallies and continuing his breakneck breakneck pace of campaigning towards the presidency. And uh, there's the White House Christmas, or not Christmas. The White House Black History Month reception is next week. I will be there. I will be doing some reporting from there like last time I went. So I didn't go last year because, remember, my plane was canceled because of weather. So, Lord willing, the weather is with us, and I'm able to get there. I've already bought my ticket, and I'm so excited to get to go. So I'll do some, you know, whatever pictures or live streaming I can do with my phone, I'll do that while I'm there. And I just hope that you guys can kind of get a taste of the enjoyment that we all have when we get to come together. Um, And it's not like everyone who's at the Black History Month reception is a Republican, Um, it's an invitation that if you've been invited before, you get invited again. And, And so, you know, you don't you're not necessarily a Republican, but the president is always he always gives a really good speech. And it's always nice to be at the White House. And more than that, it's just nice to be around other people who most of them are Republicans. And so it's nice to see people that, you know, or have worked with. And just kind of be, it's like old home time where you're with people that you know are accepting and there's less tension and it's just really nice. So I'm so excited about getting to do that. Now, let me set this first one up for you. And cut one, Trump is asked what he learned in the impeachment. And sometimes I wonder if he has like a special juice that he drinks in the morning that just makes, <laughs> makes him snap back like this. It's so good. Take a listen to your president.
3: Lisa Murkowski earlier said that you shouldn't have gotten involved with the Roger Stone case. She said it's just bad. Some Republicans have said they hoped you would learn a lesson from impeachment. What lesson did you learn from impeachment? Uh, That the Democrats are crooked. They've got a lot of crooked things going. That they're vicious. Uh, That uh, they shouldn't have brought impeachment. And that my poll numbers are ten points higher because of fake news like NBC, which reports the news very inaccurately, probably more inaccurately than CNN, if that's possible. Uh, MSDNC and your MS uh, and, and if you take a look at NBC no, I think they're among the most dishonest reporters of the news. Okay. Thank you very much everybody. I appreciate it.
1: So you have to wonder who that was in the background mumbling like a lunatic like that. I guess translating it into some other language but um, he said his poll numbers are 10 points higher. That's what he's learned. I mean he just he savaged that reporter. Who deserved it? Uh, so You kind of wonder to yourself, you're like, well, you know, I got to say, President Trump, he seems unflappable. And you wonder, is there a pillow in the White House that he punches? Or does, like, how do you put up with that level of crazy all the time? The questions are never about policy or anything interesting. They're always something, it's always like uh, somebody let a bunch of chattering hens out of some gossip clutch out and put microphones in their hand and said, you can ask questions of the president. Where are the intelligent questions? Where are the questions that have to do with policy or, you know, world events? Everything is about impeachment or Russia. Speaking of which, listen to this chick. Now, it's a, she's not as close to the microphone, so you can't hear her as well. Um, And I'll kind of recap it for you, but she's going to ask him, who did Russia get him elected? That's what she asked the president of the United States. After all these years have gone by, and we know Russia did not, he did not partner with Russia to win the election. They did not materially impact the 2016 election. Here she is again, and I don't know who she was because she never identified herself. Unbelievable. Take a listen.
3: No, Russia did not help me get elected. You know who got me elected? You know who got me elected? I got me elected. Russia didn't help me at all. Russia, if anything, I think help the other side. What you ought to ask is this. Do you think the media helped Hillary Clinton get elected? She didn't make it. But you take a look at collusion between Hillary Clinton and the media. You take a look at collusion between Hillary Clinton and Russia. She had more to do in the campaign with Russia than I did. I had nothing to do. And, by the way, that's one other thing. If you look, this is all about Russia, Russia, Russia. They don't talk about Russia anymore because it turned out to be a hoax. It was all a hoax. And then they say, gee, he fought back. Isn't that terrible? He fought back. Of course I fight back because it was a false accusation, a totally false accusation. And it's a disgrace. And it's a very, it's a very sad period for this country. And I think in the end, I will consider what's happening now to be one of my greatest achievements exposing this corruption
1: so that was fantastic and i want you to um just get just a little bit of more information on that audio clip which you can find at stacy and if you go over there you can click on it's a picture of the president outside uh, and he's pointing at himself and if you click on that one you can watch the video for yourself and i also transcripted his comments for you so you can read them it was a fantastic response in fact Let me just go there real quick. Um, I'm actually on the live page at Stacy on the Right so I can comment back to the people who are in the chat room, which welcome into the chat room, everybody. And thanks to people who emailed and said, where are you, what's going on? Uh, I hadn't had a cold in well over a year and it kind of knocked me back. Um, So I'm going to go here on StaceyOnTheRight.com and just take a quick click through here. Um, So the title of it is Trump, when all of said and done, my greatest accomplishment as president. And here he is. He says, uh, no, Russia did not help me get elected. You know who helped get me elected? I got me elected. <laughs> now, of course, I believe that we prayed and, you know, we, he was, it, it, it's the will of God that he was elected that time. And we hope that God's will is for him to go back in again. But he took a couple of hits at some very important things that the media has not covered, namely, Um, do you think the media helped Hillary Clinton get elected? She didn't make it, but you take a look at collusion between Hillary Clinton and the media. You take a look at collusion between Hillary Clinton and Russia. Russia actually paid the Clintons to come out and speak at their different, like, organizational meetings. A Half a million dollars a couple of times. 400000 a couple of times. That sounds like, well, at least she's on the payroll for them. So was her husband. They also made payments, oligarchs in Russia made payments to the Clinton Foundation. Now, look, look, listen, listen, Linda, listen. This is not an issue of people not being able to go and speak anywhere. It's an issue of the media not investigating it, not covering it, not giving it the same level of attention that they're giving to the non-existent relationship between President Trump and the nation state of Russia in influencing an American election. That's the difference there, people. Come on. He says, she had more to do in the campaign with Russia than I did. I had nothing to do. And by the way, that's the other thing. If you look, this was all about Russia, Russia, Russia. They don't talk about Russia anymore because it turned out to be a hoax. It was all a hoax. And then they say, gee, he fought back. Isn't that terrible? He fought back. He says, of course I fought back because it was a false accusation, a totally false accusation. What a disgrace. A very sad period for the country. And he says, you know, um, in the end, I will consider this to be one of my greatest achievements exposing this corruption. Now, I think he's had some other great achievements. I do, I, I, but this is like this is level one, uh, you know, kind of smackdown right here, where he schools this media person. She brings up Russia, and and he could have deflected it. He could have said, "You got to be kidding me! Are you out of your mind?" I mean, he has he has smack back like that before. But this time he read in where they should have been. He basically said, you know, you're here and you need to get here at my level. You're not at my level right now because you're asking about something that has been disproven when you could be investigating something that is actually real and at the very minimum report on it. Just, you know, it doesn't even take a lot of investigating right now to talk about these things about the Clintons and what they've done in the past there's no investigating to it the investigations have already been done the the heavy lifting's already been done all you have to do is report on it cuz if you do you know what it would do for the media it would give them some credibility you'd be able to say look i already checked into that i did report on it <laughs> that's how you that's how you can inculcate yourself from the criticism but notice they never can say that because they haven't they haven't reported on it americans Writ large, don't know about it unless they've taken the time to look into it for themselves. So it's propaganda. And he called him out on it. That's what, you know. So check it out at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Also, we have um, we have a page now. Well, it's a posting um, called St. Louis County Council Diaries. You can look on it. And see all the things that are going on at the St. Louis County Council. And I'm pointing that out for people who live in St. Louis, St. Louis County, Missouri. But you know what? If you're from out of town, like, in other words, the show, people listen from all over the place. If you are listening from somewhere else, I kind of, it's there for you too so you can take a look and see. And I hope that it would kind of entice you to go to your local meeting a couple of times. It doesn't mean that... You're going to go every single week or every single month. That I'm never advocating for you to put down your good stuff and, you know, uh, go do these meetings that, that that has to be your thing. I'm never, ever advocating for that. I'm just saying, you know, please be interested in it because they're controlling so much of your tax dollars and so much of what you're doing for a living. Um, so check out the page. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's a post from the last three meetings that I've attended, and we've been kind of uh, us us ladies have been kind of talking to each other about how we're gonna, you know, man the meetings, and so we're 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 excited about just the idea that we will know what's going on in our county government. We know it's controlled by the Democrats right now. We're not actually looking to change that. We just want to uh, we want to we want to have an opportunity to do to do something um, to impact our local government, and you can too. Um, so now let me get back to um, a couple of things. So there's, uh, you know how there's, uh, on a weekly basis, there'll be emails coming out of the White House informing media and everyone else that they've nominated people to go uh, into different positions. And there are, I think, over 100 spots open right now that haven't been confirmed. The president's been in office for over three years. Let's let that soak into you for a second. He hasn't even been able to fully staff up a government because of the witch hunt. So, Zero Hedge has reported that President Trump withdrew the nomination of former U.S. attorney for D.C. Jesse Liu to the number three spot at the Treasury, which she quit her job last month in anticipation of being appointed to. Liu oversaw several politically charged prosecutions, including Trump's associates Roger Stone, Michael Flynn, Paul Manafort and others, according to Axios. Uh, The scoop was actually brought to our attention by One America News Now's Jack Prosobik. So the move comes hours after four prosecutors in the Roger Stone case tendered their resignations because the DOJ rejected their absurdly punitive sentencing reco- recommendations in Stone's case. So you guys know I have interviewed Roger Stone before, back when I was over at the old place. And he was a really nice man to interview. Um, obviously, he made some mistakes and, you know, he ran afoul of the law. Some of it was a witch hunt. I, I think I told you guys about the last time I was in D.C. Yeah, I was there for, well, no, time before last I was in D.C. Uh, it was in November of last year, I think, and we were there for the Bring Our Troops Home event, talking about bringing our troops home from Afghanistan. And I was meeting with uh, an activist. He's a really great guy. His name is Joshua, and he runs a PAC called Vets for Trump. It's a, It's a huge organization, wonderful, wonderful group of people. And him and his friend, we were all having dinner together at this little Uh, it's like a diner that a lot of political types go to and they eat, they serve shrimp po'boys and stuff like that. We're just sitting there just, you know, throwing back some food. And he starts talking about how he's been friends with Roger Stone for years and he's getting railroaded. And so I'm just, you know, eating my salad and listening and thinking, what, like how did I stumble up into, into this table? So he talks about how he's known Roger Stone for years and They've done projects together and blah, blah, blah. And then he says he's been in court with him every single day and that Roger Stone is an elderly dude and that some of the things it's like this was the example he gave, which he said was a real example. Now, I'm sharing with you what he shared with me, obviously, but you can read so much about the case and what's happened to Roger Stone. And I have friends on all of the spectrum. Like I have friends who are on Twitter right now saying he shouldn't have gotten sentenced to nine years. That's garbage. But – he did break the law. He should serve some time in prison. And I have people on the other side who I'm friends with as well who say he shouldn't be in jail for one day because this was a political prosecution. It was an extension or the seed of the witch hunt, if you will. He helped get President Trump elected. Therefore, he has to be driven into the ground like a stake. That being said, this person was sharing with me that Roger Stone, um, so he has a cell phone, obviously, but he's elderly, and he so he understands how it works. But he doesn't necessarily use it in the same way that younger people do. Um, Like we use it for everything. So when they were questioning him, they were asking him, did you – they were asking him specifics. Did you send an email to, you know, Donald John Trump Jr. uh, on this day or that day? Well, they they wouldn't allow him to look at his phone to check. He couldn't look on his laptop to check. So he had to basically go by memory. He's being questioned. So he says – I think I may have. And so then they're like, well, actually, no, you didn't. You sent him a text message that day, but you didn't send him an email, so you just perjured yourself. He said it was a lot of that kind of stuff where Roger Stone was agreeing that he'd sent whatever or that he'd received whatever, but the means and mechanism by which he received it, whether it was a voicemail or a text message or what have you, they would ask him in such a way, and he'd say, yeah, I do remember about that time. Yeah, we were communicating about that. Well, but it wasn't by text message. You guys were actually an email. And so he'd say, oh, well, you know, I mean, how's he supposed to remember? I mean, think about it. If you're getting questioned on your emails and whatnot, would you remember every single email that you sent or received? Would you remember whether you were texting with a person or whether y'all were um, emailing back and forth? You would have to have been prepared to talk about that, and you'd have to review your emails and everything so that you could be accurate. Do you think they gave him the chance to do that? Or do you think they took him down that road because they wanted to get as many counts up against him as they could so they could try to guarantee that he would die in prison? And what about that no-knock raid on his house where they actually alerted CNN and CNN Van was sitting right outside and they went over there in the dead of night while these people were sleeping with their little dogs and banged on the door and handcuffed him and took him out like it was an episode of SWAT as opposed to just contacting his lawyer and saying, we need your uh, client to turn himself in. You know, that's how they do with people who are elderly and are public figures. They just say, would your your client like to be, you know, turn themselves in tomorrow or we'll be by there, you know, they turn themselves in this afternoon or we'll be by there tonight. Your choice. They say they thought he was a flight risk. This man wears household slippers as shoes. You know, they could have said, Bring your client's passport and his wife's passport in here and then we'll we'll determine when we want him to come in for questioning. They could have done that they I mean, it's not just on TV that you see stuff like that. So uh, it just is so upsetting that um he's he's being treated that way and the reason why I say that it, I think there's injustice in America obviously. No justice system is perfect. Um, but it's a shame to see him treated that way. He's elderly, and they're don't and they not treating any of the Clintons that way. Do you notice how they, when they had to question Hillary Clinton, they didn't go do a no-knock raid? No. They sent FBI agents over after they'd made an appointment with one of Hillary Clinton's staffers. And they went to her house. They didn't put her under oath. They didn't tape record it, and they just talked to her. No hard-line questioning. She deleted 33,000 emails. The woman was bleach bidding their phones and banging their phones with hammers to try to destroy evidence. And they just nicely chatted with her for a few minutes. Now, admittedly, she was the secretary of state. She was the first lady of the United States when Bill Clinton was president. And she was a presidential front runner like she, you know, she'd run. Obviously, this is a very powerful individual, but she shouldn't be above the law. But it's the difference between how they treat Republicans and how they treat Democrats, okay? That, that's what that is. And anybody who says different is lying. So back to this Lou story. She was actually confirmed in September of 2017 to oversee the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office and was expected to stay through her nomination. Instead, she was unexpectedly informed last month that she would be replaced by Attorney General Bill Barr's close advisor, Timothy Shea, which adds that her withdrawn nomination to the Treasury Department's Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Crimes was the president's call, according to a former administration official who's familiar with the situation. So she's not working anywhere now. And, you know, you can take from that whatever you will. I kind of, I understand the feelings. I really do. (laughs) I mean, come on, people. There's nothing worse than... One day you're working and your job is secure and everything looks awesome and the next day you're out on your tuchus. There's nothing worse than that. And then later you get to hear all the rumors and everything about, you know, why it happened and none of it's true. But you get to understand that lots of people, that's what they think and no one's correcting them. It's just glorious, I tell you. And that's pure sarcasm. All right. So we have been missing, but we're back. And I just want to say thanks awesome 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 to be back on the air and to have you guys here um in the chat room and to be doing so much fun stuff and right now we're going to be signing off um i will be with you in the afternoon tomorrow we'll have a show we'll be talking about some stuff and um i just want to say god bless and i know it's been a while since i've done an encouragement and i found this and i just thought it was so good it's by Elizabeth Elliott, Keep a Quiet Heart. She first shares scripture, Psalm twenty eight, eight. The Lord is their strength and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Once we give ourselves up to God, shall we attempt to get hold of what he of what he can never what can never belong to us, which is tomorrow? Our lives are his. Our times are in his hand. He is Lord over what will happen. Never mind what may happen. When we prayed, thy will be done, did we suppose he did not hear us? He heard indeed and daily makes our business his. If my life is once surrendered, all is well. Let me not grab it back as though it were in peril in his hand, but would be safer in mine. And that's from her book, Keep a Quiet Heart. I thought that was really encouraging. So when you hear the enemy coming in and telling you that the reason why you were let go is because x y and z you're horrible you sucked whatever or that everyone's laughing about it or that you're really never going to be good enough just say to him i take that thought captive a speaker that uh, at a luncheon that i went to earlier in the week last week he said when he thinks of take every thought captive uh his name is jerry Bromstadt, amazing man um he thinks of the tie hold which is where a warrior takes an opponent by the back of the neck and they put the spear up to the front of their neck. And he says that's what he thinks of when he thinks of taking the enemy captive, taking those thoughts captive. And you don't take the enemy captive with the spear to their neck and leave them there or let them eat lunch with you in the canteen. You take them to your commander. And so we take the thoughts that the enemy slings at us captive and we take that captive to our commander, which is our father in heaven, and we turn that thought from the enemy over to the commander for him to deal with. So this isn't about us dealing with these nasty thoughts and feelings and these accusations which come from the enemy. It's us saying God's got that. God's going to take care of this. I'm leaving it with him so I can keep on doing what I need to do. And if you have to say I take that thought captive a hundred times, so be it. Take every single one captive so that you leave behind those things that are true and right and wonderful and good that glorify God and edify you so that you can go on and do the things that you have to do. And if you do that, you're going to have a much better day and a much better afternoon and better evening. So fantastic to be with you today.